I'm going to continue uh, reading scripture to you this morning. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 12. I know that uh, it says, I think I'm supposed to start at verse 17. I'm actually going to start at verse 9. So if you'd like to follow along, you have time to uh, find that on your phone or use the Bible that's around you or something. Um, the translation that I read from is the New Revised Standard Version. There are two translations that the Methodist Church is like, these are the two that we have the most trust in the translation itself, because the Bible was originally written in Greek uh, and Hebrew, and so the New Testament was in Greek, and so somebody has to translate that so that those of us who aren't um, Greek readers can uh, understand what it's saying. So the translation that's in the pew back, or the seat backs in front of you is really different than what I'm about to read. And uh, you'll notice if you're reading along that there is a real translation difference. As I start to preach, you'll see that translators uh, can affect our understanding of Scripture, and I may point that out to you later. This is a section in Romans that uh, editors of the Bible always highlight with marks of a true Christian. As if being perfect isn't hard enough, listen to what Paul writes is the mark of a true Christian. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to the strangers. And if that's not hard enough, that, that's me adding that part in, by the way. <laughs> Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the holy. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. By doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. May God give us wisdom and courage as we try to interpret Scripture. And may God give us wisdom and courage as we try to apply the truth of it to our lives. Amen. We are uh, in week three of this sermon series that we're calling Renew, where we're trying to renew things within our lives. You know, there are several times throughout the year, too, I think, that we kind of spend some time thinking about the time that has passed and the time that is to come. One of them is at the turn of the year, January 1st. And we're always hopeful that new things will come out of that. And so we try to renew ourselves then. And then the, the second time, whether we are in school or not, our brains are just kind of um, programmed to operate 
on semesters, right? And so the summer is over and a new semester has started and we, we kind of renew ourselves. We're like, this year, I'm going to do these things and not those things. And I'm going to live in this way and not that way. And so an uh, understanding that that's how we work, we're trying to talk about some of the things that we maybe should think about renewing. And so a few weeks ago, we talked about renewing our commitment to being the things that God uses. And so we talked about how God uses bread and juice really simple things to change the world, right? Like when you come and you receive communion, there is a real chance that you will be changed because you can experience the real presence of the risen Lord in the midst of a communion uh, service. And so uh, God uses really simple things. And then as we just experienced and participated in, God uses water, just simple, plain water, make a big difference. But the most amazing thing is that God uses you and me, the most simple, plain things that could be to change the world around us. And so we wanted, we talked about renewing our commitment to being open to being a blessing to other people. And then last week, we talked about renewing our priorities. And, and I said, I I want to spend a lot of time like talking about how you should set your priorities and how you can see what your priorities are. You already know that. You already know what the most important things to you are. And so now it's kind of up to you to figure out how to put the first things first, right? But we talked about the difficulty in doing that is that there are two voices that call out to us. Proverbs calls one of them Lady Wisdom and Proverbs calls the other one Lady Folly. And their voices sound really similar, and they say similar kinds of things, like, this is the way you ought to go, come this way, and they lure you in, and you have to really concentrate and seek counsel to be able to follow Lady Wisdom. And guess what? Lady Wisdom doesn't always lead to wealth and prosperity and fame. In fact, sometimes Lady Wisdom leads in the opposite direction, and having the strength to follow and sit at her table and eat that feast is a blessing in and of itself, and so renewing our priorities. And today we're going to talk about renewing our relationships. But to talk about that, I want to talk about these two passages of Scripture you just heard. The first one is the words of Jesus where he says, Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Which seems ridiculous. Because I'm lucky if I go through an hour Honestly, if I'm being really honest, I'm probably lucky if I go through five minutes of my day living like out the intention that I wanted to live with. I fail all the time. And so this idea of living perfect as God in heaven is perfect seems overwhelming. But a few years ago, I heard a story that helped me understand what this idea of perfection, the Greek word that's translated into perfection actually means. And I know I told this story one time last year, but I'm going to tell it again, and I'll probably tell it again and next year and the year after that. You'll hear it as long as I'm here because this story is a big deal, and it helps me to understand what perfection means when it comes to the Bible. Imagine that there's a little boy. He's four years old. And he's in his house, and he's goofing off, and his mom and dad go outside. The dad's going to, I don't know, change the oil in his car. 
and the mom is just going to go out there and hang out with the dad because he doesn't want to be by himself and they want to spend some time together. So she goes out there and they're visiting and because a four-year-old can't be left in the house by themselves for very long if you want your house to be standing, then they have the four-year-old come outside with them. And before long, the mom starts pulling some weeds in the yard and then goes over to the garden and starts pulling weeds out of the garden. And then she's like, you know, I haven't fertilized this thing for a while. So she starts mixing in some manure. And the little boy is like, that looks cool. I like playing in the dirt. So he goes to help his mom. And he's digging in the dirt. And he's pulling up weeds. And then he starts pulling some things up. And, and he's like, look, mom, I found some onions. And he's got like five or six of them. And they're not onions. They're flower bulbs. And so his mom's like, oh my gosh, this kid's driving me crazy. Go help your dad. So he goes over to help his dad, and the dad's like, uh, yeah, you can help me. I need a three-quarter inch socket. So the kid reaches down and grabs uh, a pair of, uh, he, he grabs a pair of uh, channel locks and hands them to the dad. And the dad goes, no, I need a three-quarter inch socket. It's this little silver thing. It's round, has like an octagon inside of it. And just grab that for me. And the kid's like, I mean, what's the dad talking about? Who know, what four-year-old knows what an octagon is, right? And so he reaches down and grabs a pair of, uh, grabs a crescent wrench because it's silver. And that's the only word that he really picked up in that whole thing. And he hands it to his dad. And the dad's like, this isn't working. Wow. And so he just says, hey, you know what would be awesome? If you'd go in the house, it's hot out here and I'm sweaty, give me the biggest glass of water that you can find. Like, you know that big, tall plastic cup that came from the barbecue place? Get that one and fill it up with water. And so the kid goes into the house, grabs a chair, drags it across the kitchen floor, climbs up, opens the cabinet, grabs that big cup, comes down off the chair, drags the chair back over to the freezer, opens it, climbs up, and starts reaching into the ice. He's been out there digging in the mud with his mom and helping mix manure, and he grabs the ice and puts it in the cup and, and then goes over to the sink and fills the thing up, and now it's heavy and he's little, and so he's got one hand under it and one hand on top, and he's holding it, and his fingers are down in the water, and there's all kinds of floaties getting in it. Looks like brown hay or something. He walks out, and he hands it to his dad, and his dad... Wipes the sweat from his forehead, looks at it, looks at the floaties, makes a decision, and takes a big drink. Five or six big swallows. Hands it back to the little boy and says, that was perfect. That is perfection the way that God looks at us. It's about the intent of our heart and what we want to be doing and how we want to do it. And we do the best we can. And when we screw up, because you will screw up, God looks at our hearts. And God's job to do the work of perfecting, not ours. Our job is to do the best we can. And so when we read through this, these marks of a true Christian that Paul writes about, it feels overwhelming. It feels like there's no possible way that I can do these things. And, and, and I don't know if you noticed, but all of them are about the way we interact with other people. Paul writes that the marks of a true Christian are seen in the way that we interact with other people. Listen to what he says. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another with showing honor. 
Bless those who persecute you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony. Don't be haughty. Associate with the lowly. It's all about relationships. The marks of a true Christian are about the relationships that we have with other people. I've sat in hospital rooms with people who are dying multiple times. And I've sat in hospital rooms with people who know they're going to die soon. Never once have I sat there as a pastor with someone who is dying, and I've never heard them say, I really wish I'd managed my money better. I've never heard them say, I really wish I had bought that car that I was thinking about buying, but instead I bought the other one. Never, ever, ever do I hear that. It's always about, I wish I'd had a better relationship with my parents. I wish I had reached out to my kids. I wish my relationship with my siblings was different. But we get hurt, right? And we hurt other people. And there comes separation in our relationships. And then we hear songs like, Kill Them With Kindness. Anybody know that song? you've listened to like Top 40 Radio the last few years, you couldn't have missed it. Well, kill them with kindness comes from this passage of Scripture. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink, for by doing this you will heap burning coals on their heads. Man, that feels good, right? (laughs) But that is not that good feeling is not what Paul is writing about. Because Paul writes just before that, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Believe room for the wrath of God, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It's not our job to repay. What Paul is saying is that our job is to do our job. Stay in our lane. Don't try to be doing God's job. Let God do God's job. Let's do our job. What is God's job? God's job is taking the best of our intentions and making them be perfection in the world around us. A few years ago, I heard Otis Moss III preach. He, if you've never heard him preach, you should Google his name right now. I'll give you a few seconds. Get your phone out. Google Otis Moss III. You don't write the third, you just put three lines, right? Listen to him preach. He's one of the best preachers alive today, and maybe the best preacher alive for several generations. He is incredible. And I had the opportunity to hear him preach at, wait for it, the Festival of Homiletics. Anybody want to go to that with me? (laughs) Yes, it's a preaching festival that preachers go to and listen to preachers preach and talk about how to preach. Michelle makes fun of me because I think it's awesome. (laughs) But he gave an, an interpretation of this passage that changed my life. And I want to share that with you now. Otis Moss III talked about how there are places in Africa today and in the ancient Near East where this was written, the practice was to do the same thing that still happens in places in Africa today. A lady will have a clay pot. It will be smaller and lighter than this one. And underneath the clay pot will be a pad. 
of some sort. Think of it as like an oven mitt. And they place the oven mitt on their head and then place the clay pot on their head. And in the clay pot are coals, hot coals. And they carry fire around with them so that at nighttime they can heat their homes or start a fire wherever they're sleeping with their families so that they can keep them themselves and their families warm, so that they can cook meals for their family. It's something that keeps them alive and helps them feel like they're doing the job they need to do for their families. Anybody here have a family and you want to do good by them? Yeah, all of us. But what if the fire goes out? You can't just, like, grab some coals, right? Like, you maybe you have some things that you can start a fire with, but it's not as easy if you already have hot coals going. So what will happen is a lady with no hot coals on her head will walk past somebody who does and ask, could you give me some hot coals? They will literally heap hot coals upon her head to offer her something that she needs from something that they need. It's called generosity. Paul is saying that when we are generous with one another, when we carry a shovel around and heap hot coals on one another's heads, we are doing the work we are supposed to do as Christians, and therefore we're allowing God to do the work that God does. I always thought this was an amazing passage because it's like, yeah, I can do this, out of spite for that person. I get to win. I overcome what they did to me by doing something kind to them because I want them to feel how nice I am. Spite is a weird thing because we can do something out of spite, which is out of a place of anger or frustration or hurt, and we do the thing out of spite, like, oh, we want, I'm going to get back at them. Or you can do something in spite of something. We made it to school in spite of the fact that the roads were frozen, right? But when we typically hear this idea of, well, just heap hot coals upon their head, we hear, that is doing something out of spite, which is the opposite of what we are told to do which is to never avenge yourselves. See how this works? It's a strange play. But if we want to renew our relationships with other people, we have to be okay with the fact that they've done something to harm us and just move. Keep moving. Wish well upon that person. If given the opportunity, offer them something that they need from something that you have and just keep moving on. I'm not trying to say that you have to become best friends with them again. I'm not trying to say that you have to walk arm in arm with them again. I'm just saying, like, if you want to heal yourself, God has given us the tools to do that, and the main tool is called generosity. When we are generous with ourselves and with our things, we free ourselves up from being chained up and being locked down. Paul also writes that it is for freedom that we were set free. And it's so easy for us to lock those shackles back on. 
and kill him with kindness. Therefore, and thereby, we are doing harm to ourselves. Sisters and brothers, my hope is that you would begin to understand and I would begin to practice better the idea that when we do something for someone else, we're doing something for ourselves. And it's okay. I don't know where this idea came from that we have to do things and not receive any joy for it. That's ridiculous. I heard a story a few years ago, a preacher that I don't like, (laughs) that's very famous also, told a story that was also life-changing. He said there was a young man who got married, and on his first anniversary, he took a rose, one rose, and gave it to his wife. And she smiled, got tears in her eyes, remembering that day from a year prior. On his second anniversary, he took two roses. On his third anniversary, three. On his fourth, four. On his fifth, fifth. Do you want me to keep going, or do you get the point? You get the point. So on his sixth, sixth, and seventh, seventh. See where I'm going? So 17 years later, on his anniversary, how many roses did he give to her? 17. Yeah, you're getting it. Good job. And so he walks up to her with 17 roses and hands them to her, and she says, I love these roses so much. Why do you keep doing this? Like every year you add another rose, but why do you keep doing this? It would be fine if you just gave me one rose. Every year you add more. And he goes, because I realized that first year how much I liked seeing your face with that much joy on it and that much happiness. And so I I decided every year I was just going to do that and add more. And it makes me so happy to see you that happy. He's doing this thing out of delight. What would happen? Is that more loving or is this more loving? Honey, why every year do you give me these roses? Well, because on the first year I did it, so now I have to do it every year. (laughs) Which of the two is more loving? It's more loving to do something because we want to and we have delight in doing that, right? That's the difficulty. That's what's hard about heaping coals on someone's head. Because if we're doing it to get back at them, we have chained ourselves up. But if we're doing it because we want to see good things for them, we have been set free. Brothers, sisters, may we have the courage, because believe me, it takes courage to take the chains off and walk in freedom. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.